I wanted not my kid to be raw, real, open, engaging, edgy, quite frankly, because what we do is edgy in terms of being in the trenches and walking alongside of real people who are truly struggling with how to help their kids, how to protect their kids. Debbie and Steve Moak responded to one of their family's challenges by creating an organization that's reached millions of people and has saved lives. Debbie's our guest on this episode of Win This Year. Drugs and alcohol. Bullying. Unhealthy relationships. Depression. Internet safety. Substance use. Body image. Self-injury. Suicide. Anxiety. Social media. Kids. Pre-teens. Parenting. Middle school. High school. Adolescents. Teens. Coping skills. Self-care. Relationships. Strategies. Life skills. Prevention. Solutions. Help. Hope. Leadership. Insight. Information. Inspiration. You're listening to Win This Year, the official podcast of Not My Kid, a prevention nonprofit focused on inspiring positive life choices by helping kids, parents, families, and those who work with youth. Informative, interesting, inspiring. Win This Year. Welcome to Win This Year. I'm Shane Watson, public information officer and prevention specialist for Not My Kid. We've got a very special episode looking at the past, present, and future of Not My Kid with Not My Kid co-founder Debbie Moak. But first, Win This Year is brought to you by First Check. First Check home drug tests help you protect loved ones from the risks of drug abuse. First Check is the number one pharmacist-recommended brand. It detects up to 14 illicit and prescription drugs and provides over 99% accurate, easy-to-read results in just five minutes, all in the privacy of your home. Go to firstcheckfamily.com and use code WINTHISYEAR to save on your order. Joining us as co-host today is Not My Kids CEO, Kristen Polin. If you've been listening to Win This Year, you will remember she previously joined us for Episode 3, where we shared six substance use prevention tips for parents of preteens and teens. For those not familiar with Kristen, I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell you a little bit about her. Hi, everyone. I'm Kristen Pullen. Proud to be the CEO of Not My Kid. I've been associated with the organization for over four years, but recently returned to the organization as a CEO in February. I love working with the board. I love working with our staff. And I'm so excited to have Debbie Moak, our founder, here today. Our guest today is literally the first person that we thought of as a guest when we created the idea for the podcast, but we wanted to save her appearance for Red Ribbon Week. Our guest today is the co-founder of Not My Kid, a parent, grandparent, veteran of more than three decades in the field of prevention for youth, an international speaker, former director of the Governor's Office of Youth, Faith, and Family, winner of the 2019 Healthcare Heroes Mental Health Award, and someone who has helped countless families throughout the world, Debbie Moak. Welcome to Win This Year. Well, what a nice introduction. I love being here with, with Not My Kid. And that's actually the short intro. We could go on and on with that intro. Thank you so much for being here. When we go out and we speak at schools or we do presentations at corporations, anywhere where we're sharing Not My Kid's message, they hear a summary of the founding story of how Not My Kid was founded. But very rarely have people gotten to hear the full version. How was the organization founded and why was the organization founded? So Not My Kid was founded out of real struggle. 
uh, in our family. My husband and I dealing with our own son's substance use at the time and feeling out of control, feeling helpless, feeling we didn't know where to turn to for help. Once we got through our son's situation, got him into treatment at the age of 20, we pivoted to what can we do to address this for other families. We also felt strongly that we didn't want this to be like a TV dream sequel, that it never happened, or that we had somehow done something wrong as parents. And we really felt that we needed to address it. We, we felt as, as, as spouses that we were a good family. I've been married for 42 years to this man, and we were very involved with our kids. I was a school teacher. Um, we went to church. We, we're, we just felt like a great family, and we, we felt no reason to hide or be in shame for what had happened with our son. And we also believed that people can get help if better resources existed, if more families like ourselves would speak out, then uh, families would have the tools that they needed to get help. So all of that was really important to us. So again, once we secured help for our son, we pulled in a lot of community leaders from a variety of organization and walks of life. We literally had a meeting in the living room of our home and said, this is what we've been through. We want to do something about it. Can you help us? And everyone in the room agreed, yes, this was important. We had to do something about it. And that was really the birth of Not My Kid. Um, in the early days, it was my husband, myself, and our son going door to door, literally to schools, and saying, invite us in. Let us tell our story to your parents, to your faculty, to your students. Let us make a difference and set all of your, your school on a different path than where our family has ended up. One of the most remarkable things that happened from my vantage point was how many families started to approach us. That was the floodgate I didn't see coming. I can specifically remember people would come to the door of our home. Of course, we knew they were coming. And there was one time where we had a family in our living room kind of trying to help them with their situ similar situation to ours. Another family coming to the door. And because of privacy, we wanted to make sure we always protected everyone's privacy of their situation. We moved that family from the living room to the family room. And now my husband and I divided up our time to finish talking with the families while another one walked in the front door. It's still like that today, by the way. Uh, I still, I mean, thankfully we have not my kid because they do 99% of that work. But the other 1%, which is still a big number, come to our door, call our cell phone, and want to meet with the founders one-on-one. -on -one. I've noticed that with people like you or Paula Jordan or Barry Adkins, 
I, when, when a parent goes through what you've gone through and they don't want to talk about it, I can respect that. I can appreciate that. I can understand that. When a parent goes through what you went through and does a 180 and says, no, not only am I going to talk about this, I'm going to tell everyone I possibly can so that those who do need to get help, who are on the fence about speaking up, can be emboldened to say, you know what? We can talk about this. This is okay. And you mentioned those families coming forward and saying, we're in the same boat right now. I've noticed that that makes that is when change begins, is when somebody stops being silent about what they've gone through and they make it clear to everyone else, you're not alone. That's exactly right. And I would say that's the number one thing that drives us. There really hasn't been a call, including this week, one yesterday, from a parent that they want to go there. They're ready to go there. They don't feel ashamed. Um, but this is what we can do, support other families to speak out. I get this vision in my mind sometimes where I wish that every parent, even if it were just simply the ones I knew, we all walked out of our homes together one day and stood together and said, I too have been impacted by this. My family has gone through this. What a visual that would be because the numbers are alarmingly huge. I think by the silence that there's been around mental health, around substance use disorders, and so much more, the silence creates a myth that all is well with our kids when in fact nothing could be further from the truth. So I want to stand publicly together. I just realized that too many families aren't prepared to do that. I, I encourage them, however, if the time becomes right for you, your child is maybe doing well or, or actually maybe not. Maybe it's just your time to join community. Um, tell someone. Test it out. See what it's like to tell one of your friends what you've been through. Because amazingly, I'll see best friends that keep this kind of information from one another. It's just so hard to go there as a parent. Mm -hmm. I'm so moved by what you're saying because I, I just think about as a crusader that the crusader that you are today, you've been doing this now for 20 years in the community. And when we look at the numbers and the conversations that have been had and the people that have been helped, uh, the impact that you being so brave and showing that courage to do that, we now can say today that we reach 75,000 people a year, that 2 million people have been served by Not My Kid, the organization that you founded. And it is one little bit at a time breaking down that shame and, and encouraging families to have that conversation. Um, and it really gets me to be thinking about even the whole history and name of the podcast, Win This Year. I That's been named by you. We, we named the organization by hearing you always using that term. So I would love to, for you to bring light to Win This Year. Well, Kristen, being out in the community, I would just so often hear from families, um, great advice, great information you're giving. However, you know, when he's 21, and we're talking about maybe a, a young person who's 15 right now, 
and they're telling me about 21 and how they're not going to be successful at 21 because, you know, he's away at college or he's an adult and I can't protect him then. And I say, wait, 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 back up. We're talking about your 15-year-old and you're surrendering already. Let's just win this year. Let's focus on getting your son or your daughter at 15. That's what, a freshman in high Mm -hmm. school likely? Let's win freshman year. And then next year, we'll worry about sophomore year. So that gets me to also think about um, freshman year and the, the moment you started catching on that there might be something going on at home. So can we talk about that? Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. Freshman year was a turning point in our life. Um, So our son was fifth man on the basketball team, vice president of his class, held a state track record, was, I mean, just loved by his peers and by teachers. And again, intact family, mom and dad really involved Uh, dad coaching sports and first use for him was literally on a student government trip so with the leaders of the high school Coronado Island beautiful gorgeous senior cheerleader approaches my 15 year old incoming freshman with a joint and says you want to smoke it with me And he had been taught through other prevention programs to say things like, think of the consequences. Or he was taught to say, let's make another plan. And I can tell you right now, my 15-year-old cool son was not about to use either of those phrases. And in fact, he said, sure. You know, looking back to that first use, this is where the drug testing part of Not My Kid became so significant to us personally in a couple of ways. One was we wished we had been testing him preventatively at that time so that he could have looked at her and said, I'd really like to smoke that with you, but my mom drug tests me, and when she finds out I'm busted And by the way, my mom, the organizer, will get all of your moms together. And um, so I'm out. The uh, none of that happened. I didn't know at that time what I know today um, about prevention, how to arm and protect your kids from these situations. Boy, would I like to have a do over on that as a mom. You mentioned other prevention organizations. He had already gotten some of that messaging. What did you want to be different about Not My Kid? When you started the organization, how did you not want it to look like other prevention organizations? What were you wanting to do to set it apart? Oh, my gosh. That that question, Shane, is just my heart. Well, I wanted Not My Kid to be raw, real, open, engaging, uh, something edgy quite frankly, because what we do is edgy in terms of being in the trenches and walking alongside of real people who are truly struggling with how to help their kids, how to protect their kids. And what I had experienced 
previously just didn't resonate with me. It didn't connect with me. And by the way, it certainly didn't connect with my son or what I could see other students. I've often been found to say to people, because we have a peer-based model, super important to me, peer-to-peer. And that was important because what I had seen and experienced was adults coming in to talk to youth. They were so well-intentioned. They had the right information, the right heart, the right motivation to be there. And the, for me, the wrong delivery mechanism. I, it's not that I don't think that, that adults can and are effective with youth. They, they are. But I think there's a way to do that. The model of bringing in, which not my kid does, young men and women in recovery and training them, putting them in classrooms to inspire their peers, that works. That was also based on, I want people to know, I am BR, peer-based education. I Peers disseminating correct information. M are the peers being the the motivator, the reason why you're going to be heard and a peer will look to you for information. The B that we, not my kid, does so well is teaching behavioral health skills. So you're equipping young people with what was the right choice. And the R that I absolutely love about not my kid we never leave a school or any setting that we're in without providing resources i see far too many organizations again well-intentioned they want the same outcomes they really don't have the what to do the where to go matter of fact they likely don't even offer the programmatic pieces that not my kid offers like Project Rewind, that which I know we want to get into, but they offer real tools and real t- real-time turnarounds for both the child and the parent, and by the way, the school. If schools don't know what to do or how to handle this either. So that's that was the difference I saw in what we were creating, is that we would we would meet those needs. And in the creation and the history over the past 20 years, will you share with us some of the best memories, some of the pivotal times throughout the organization in its beginning? Share with us some of that history as people are just getting to know us now, what got us to where we are today? I, I think one of the things I've been most proud of over the 20 years is the way we've connected with youth and the difference we've directly made in the lives of youth. You know, sometimes when I'm out in community, I'll still hear, and this happened, by the way, this past weekend at a dinner I was at. I literally had some really smart, educated, uh, accomplished people at the dinner who said to me, I haven't heard it, not my kid. Why didn't I know about this? Um... Where have you been? Our schools need this help. And that's always sad to hear, right? What I do know is that their kids know. By and large, I've been in a school setting where we we have these 
little cards we would hand to a student and run into students outside of the school setting and they've said to, they're so excited when they hear I'm the founder of Not My Kid and they will tell me the names, the topics, specific stories, what they learned, education, resources that they got from our peer in their school years later. They'll repeat it almost verbatim, how excited they were, what a difference it made, maybe how they got help or connected a friend to it. And this one young man literally pulled a card out of his pocket and showed it to me and said, you mean you're the founder of this? That's amazing. I'm like, oh my gosh, you still got that card in your pocket. Wow. But I think you you guys know, um, you know directly how many kids we've helped. Mm -hmm. It's thousands upon thousands. And I'm talking about kids who have told us, you know, I was going to go home to take my life, but here you are in my school. I don't feel alone. I, I'm asking you for help, and you guys provide it right on the spot. Those kids get connected to the help, and I mean, there's nothing else like that. There's nothing else in my entire life that comes close to knowing that you guys are still accomplishing that. And I'm talking every school day of the year. That's amazing. I wish we would have had something like Not My Kid when I was in middle school and high school because we had some of the programs that you were referring to. And as you said, very well-intentioned, really good hearts behind it and a good message. But the way it was delivered and by whom it was delivered made a big difference. If we had someone like Taylor or Tomas or any of our prevention specialists come and talk to me in high school, I would have listened. I absolutely would have listened to what they had to say. Now, you mentioned like a student having that card and, and finding out that you're the founder and being excited to meet you or, or a student saying, you know, I was thinking of taking my life today, but because of what I heard, I chose not to. What is one of the earliest victories you can think of very early in the history of the organization where you saw or heard or experienced something that told you without a doubt this is making a difference? What stands out in your mind? I know there's a lot to choose from, so it may be difficult to pick one in particular. What's an early memory that told you this is working? Well, I want to share something that there are two answers to that, actually. I watched, let me start with all the young men and women who've been peer educators at Not My Kid over the years. You know, you mentioned Tomas and, and Taylor. I know they're the some of the current rock stars of the day, as you are, Shane. But there have been Bobby and Christina and Natalie and Patrick and James and Brandon. And again, that is a huge win right there. Let, let's start with the thing we rarely talk about is what employing young men and women in their own recoveries and journeys has meant to them, and then what they in turn do to empower. So for every every peer educator that has been here at Not My Kid, their impact, each one of them are tens of thousands of students. There's been so many wins, Shane. Uh, but I would say the thing that stands out the most to me is that 
from my experience at Not My Kid, I've not seen us be in schools even one time where students don't come and ask for help. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. Think about that. What other program do you see that has such a reach, such a touch, such grit to reach into the heart of students every time we're in the school and give them an opportunity that they take to ask for help, whether it's for themselves or another student. I just think that's truly the most remarkable thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm truly moved by it when I get out there with the staff and watch it in action. Sometimes there's 10, 20 kids that are sticking around waiting to connect with a speaker. And some of the things that, that I have you know overheard sharing it has been concerning, very moving. It, it definitely motivates us to make sure when we're embracing schools and their communities that we're making sure those kids are getting connected to support. But the powerful thing is we help them realize it's okay to ask for help. And I I think that's the beauty. That's so right. And I want to give you, uh, along that line, Kristen, a follow-up story. There was one school that shall go unnamed. I remember the peer educator having such a flood of kids that came up. And it was was really on depression and suicidal ideation. And there were so many kids that lined up for help. But listen to this story. The staff didn't know what to do. And the staff had had to get on to the next part of business day at the school. And the peer educator hung in there and said, absolutely, with, and this is with the faculty, I'm staying until I know that these kids get the help you need, they need. And I'm also staying to make sure you know how to go about resourcing that for them. But I'm telling you that peer educator really had to push on the faculty. And under. And by the way, I was a school teacher. So I understand that teachers are in the position of being all things today to kids and I I really get that but I also understand from our point of view that we have to advocate for for the students and we also that's where again back to resources we have to have them we have to be prepared to help faculties and to help parents get the resources for kids I've seen that every time, whether I've been at a school or I've observed another speaker at a school. This is not a job where someone comes and they punch a clock and they say, oh, it's five o'clock, my job's over. Or I've come and I've done my presentation, I've fulfilled my obligation, I gotta go. It's not that type of a thing. It is a calling that is beyond a job, it's beyond a profession. And when you've got 10, 15, 20 kids in that line, you can't be looking at your clock, your watch, your phone, whatever, and saying, I can't get to you. You have then obviously clearly resonated. You may be the first person to get through to them. And one thing, more thing I want to mention beyond the kids that do come up every presentation, like you said, I've seen a really neat thing where you don't realize until three months, six months, a year later, other kids that you reached where sometimes we'll get a message on Facebook or we'll get a message on one of our Amplify social media outlets months down the road from a kid 
who didn't speak up that day but said, because of what you told me that day, because of what I heard, this thing changed. And so you're planting a seed at the very least beyond the, the results you're seeing immediately, that seed's been planted as well. So what is different? Now, obviously, we have kept so many of the traditions and there's so many of the, the intentions and the heart that was started with the organization at the beginning. What do you see is the same now? And what do you see? Do you see anything different from the early days? I think the heart of Not My Kid has remained the same for 20 years. Um, the people who uh, work at Not My Kid, like yourselves, have carried the heart that, that we had for students, for parents, for faculties and community. I'm so grateful that that heart still exists here. Like you said, Shane, this, this entire staff, I could never imagine any one of them ever walking away from any child or any situation. Um, that's, that's just remarkable because it's exhausting work. Mm -hmm. It's very draining, very emotionally draining. We all give so much of ourselves. Um, everything about this work is, uh, it's always immediate, right? Uh, it doesn't matter what we're doing or where we are. I see not my kids' staff, including myself, I consider myself staff, that we drop what we're doing when there is, unfortunately, crisis happens. Where What we strive for at Not My Kid, certainly the prevention is our heart. And the early intervention is, is next for us. We're excited when we can prevent or intervene early in a situation with a youth. But because of that work, we find ourselves in crisis mode as well for the families who didn't get the message or didn't implement, quite frankly, the tools that we've provided. They don't take the steps to implement, and now they're in crisis. I've literally, I, I have used, I'm going to admit, I have used those words with families before. I'm on the phone. I realize that all that I'm offering and all the tools that not my kid has and resources are being offered. And I see there, I can tell whether it's shame or not ready to go there, they're not going to be implemented. I've used the words, keep my phone number. You will need it in the mm. future. But the next time I talk to you, this situation will be worse. It's not something that generally fixes itself on its own. Like you're talking about, it does require action. And there isn't a specific schedule for crisis. You schedule – the crisis doesn't fall between specific work hours. And as you said, every single person on this staff, if they get a call from a parent in crisis, it doesn't matter if they're having dinner or what's going on. We will drop what we are doing to make sure that we help that person as well. Because obviously the message got through enough at least for that person to then reach out. And, it's, and it speaks volumes about the staff that those parents know or students know, they can call, they can make that call, they can reach out to you, they can reach out to any one of us without fear of judgment at all and without feeling ashamed of what it is that they're going through. So that says that that's working. I think that's why we resonate so much though is, and I love being able to say this, over the 20 years that I've been working um, at Not My Kid with Not My Kid, 
and all of the uh, personal stories that have been shared to me with me, not once has anyone ever been able to come back and say, or the organization, hey, I heard this from someone else. I think the level of professionalism and confidentiality, I think the I and the staff understand implicitly the uh, level of confidence a family needs to have to be able to get the help that they need. So you ask, however, about um, what are some of the changes in the organization over the year. I think my heart goes to what you've created um, with Project Seventh or Project Rewind. It, it's I love that program, and that was not something that we started. That was something that you started here almost 17 years into the organization. And that program, for those listening, is the early intervention piece. So, so important. I, I know you're setting up, I see, in the uh, office here for Project Rewind tonight, which is, again, think about this. A, a kid is caught with first use of a substance. School doesn't know what to do. Parents don't know what to do. Not my kid does know what to do. And they come through Project Rewind, both parent and child together. They work with you, Shane. They work with you, Kristen, and so many others. I know Tomas, I think, is working on this tonight. Um, And and over a four-week period, they make a plan. They feel equipped. They have honest conversations. They break down barriers that have existed. And here's one of my favorite things I hear from parents is, oh, my gosh, I just had the most open conversation with my son or daughter that I've ever had. You guys help break down the walls and the barriers between the parent and the child. And heaven forbid, look how grateful the schools are. They simply don't know what to do. And what you do with Project Rewind is get that student quickly back on track, back into healthy choices, and maybe back into school um, versus expulsion, back on a team versus being dropped, um, back in their uh, music or ballet, whatever it is, back in their life, back engaged and looking forward instead of living with their backward choices and having that just hang on them and defining them, quite frankly, maybe throughout their the rest of high school or on into college and into their adulthood. I mean, it's such a, I think it should be called reboot because it is such a reboot opportunity for those students, for their parents, and for the schools who don't know what to do. It's a, it's such an amazing process to to watch for us when families are coming into the program and their body language just speaks. I'm not happy. I don't feel safe. It's uncomfortable. They think they're the only ones. And I will never forget um, being one of the facilitators in some of the earlier classes and just sitting there being vulnerable with them to say, I've been in this for 22 years doing prevention and I, I'm here to share with you, you are not alone. I, I've been up against the challenges with my kids experimenting and being up against peer pressure. 
um, the best of knowledge, the best of experience, the best of intentions, kids are going to make mistakes. And Project Rewind is, is really about helping kids understand that that doesn't define you. It makes you stronger. And you just watch. Not only the walls come down, the body language changes. People start to, to smile and share and engage. And it gets that family connected again. And that's something that I think we are doing so beautifully well is getting the family talking again about those issues because teens push. They push away and, and we'll, we'll help that family get back together again. Well, and let's be candid. Teens are supposed to push. Yep. I mean, that is their job description. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, as parents, we also have a job description, and that is to push back, to set boundaries and to hold our kids. And, you know, I love the trust but verify. But we, we have to set the boundaries and the verify that they're being met. I, I think that is how uh, teens grow safely into adulthood is that we see if they're meeting the boundaries that we've set. If they're not, we need to know. We need to maybe roll some things back, privileges back, and and then start from there and rebuild until they're ready to handle more. But again, I think that's what Not My Kid does so exceedingly well. Every program I've been involved with here has been rewarding. I can easily say that Project Rewind has been the most rewarding. And Kristen talks about the change in body language. We've seen families come in week one. You know, the child got caught at school with something, and you can tell the parents don't want to be there. The kid doesn't want to be there. Maybe they're not even making eye contact, and their body language is – you can read so much from that. And within a pretty short amount of time, the program's not very long, but in that short amount of time, seeing them walk out at the end of the program – with completely different body language, connected with one another, speaking to one another, hopeful. And we set the tone the moment that they come in. The first thing we tell them is, you know, we're not here to punish you. We're not here to shame you or condescend you or anything like that. We're here to help you and give you the best information we can give you. And we're here to start a conversation between you and us and then within your family as well. Because as much as it's about drugs and alcohol, as you've both said, it's equally, if not more so, about communication or a lack thereof. And so seeing the change that's occurred in that program, which you know Kristen helped start three years ago, has been absolutely tremendous. So, so rewarding. It's That's been a, a really fun thing to be a part of. Well, and you know, I think that it, it's, a, it's a place where when parents are in that moment, their kid has been caught with some first drug use, conceivably first drug use, right? We know. But um, they're, they're in a very vulnerable space. And it's interesting. I think that Project Rewind has opened new doors for Not My Kid because as big a fan as I am of prevention, it is my first love is prevention. I'd rather see kids not go through any of this, right? Not even a first use, of course. But that's a harder sell for parents because of their denial. Um, so once the door has been opened, it's parents get that and they're they're really ready to engage at that point because you know the, the, the child and maybe the family are suffering first consequences. And um, so they're ready to engage with us. So I think that on many levels, Project Rewind is, is a home run here at Not My Kid. 
I wanted to ask you about a lot of the work that you've done outside of the organization as well. Obviously, you've done quite a bit of work with Not My Kid, for Not My Kid, but your body of work goes beyond the organization as well. I'd like you to share a little bit about the work that you've done outside of Not My Kid and some of the highlights from that work as well. Well, I'll give you two that I'm particularly uh, thrilled to be involved with. And one, I am uh, working with Banner Behavioral Health. And that was a natural partnership for me. And again, these are just simply as a volunteer. But the way I got started with Banner is because I end up at their door. Uh, They have facilities for minors who are in psychotic breaks, as well as young adults. And I receive those calls on a very regular basis, if not daily. Uh, many of the calls are certainly crisis. You know, I, I have I've been at the Banner Behavioral Health door while the parent is in the parking lot. The child won't work with them, won't talk with them, and I'm doing my song and dance to get, especially a minor, or I'm sorry, a, a legal adult over 18 to walk through the doors because technically they don't have to. So I have to uh, convince them that this is going to be a good thing. So I love that work because I get to see and I do stay in touch with the families and I see the recovery works. Again, it's not a mystery. We know that when we get young people into the right setting, connected to the right care, there can be great outcomes. So that's been one thing. Working for Governor Ducey was truly the greatest honor of my life. I was privileged to uh, be the director of the Governor's Office of Youth, Faith, and Family. A couple of things that we worked on in his administration were certainly the opioid uh, misuse and abuse. I was able to co-chair the Substance Abuse Task Force we provided, I think it was 109, 109 recommendations back to the governor, and then we watched legislation on uh, the Arizona Opioid Epidemic Act. And it's just, I also oversaw eight of the state's councils and commissions Uh, such as substance abuse, domestic violence, juvenile justice, human trafficking. Uh, We had a faith-based commission that really worked with foster uh, care system and youth and the Governor's Youth Commission. All of this was just amazing opportunity to, for me, it was come full circle. I've, you know, been around business through my husband's uh, businesses for years, and then having founded, not co-founded, not my kid, 20 years ago, and then having the state perspective really has brought a lot of things full circle for me. I have other things that I'm working on um, that I'm not even ready to talk about. It's just where I want to spend my day. You know, I'm, I'm not a good tennis player. I'm not a swimmer. 
I am not a lady who lunches. Uh, this is this is what drives me to get up. It's what I think about as I'm closing my eyes. It's generally a first thought when I wake up as well. I think about how how are we going to help more kids today? How amazing is that for us to hear that? Um, I'm really moved by what you just said. And I, I just think about the the army of people that you have behind you. And, and that is the team, our board, our women's auxiliary. Um, there are so many people that are, are marching ahead with this drive to change kids' lives and, and help families. Um, and I, I think that really it's it's setting the tone for another amazing 20 years ahead. And we're, we're right there. We're about to shift into a new decade of services. And I also think about how much the needs have changed too. And I, I really would like to address that really quick. And, and that is, you know, we the organization being founded around substance use prevention and uh, Today, we're, we're faced with a lot of kids with social media and depression and the rise of suicide. And I really wanted to ask you what your thoughts are of just watching how the needs have changed and evolved, what that's like for oh. you as the founder to yeah. see that. You, you couldn't be more right in that when we founded this 20 years ago, the landscape for kids was so dramatically different. Now I'm a grandmother, which I wasn't 20 years ago. So I also think to myself, I can't stop the fight. I will fight just as much for my grandchildren as I did for my sons, and and probably more so, actually, because of what you just said. What kids are facing on a daily basis, it, it breaks my heart. Um, people ask me often, what do I see with the rise in suicides, the rise in overdoses? What's driving so much of this? And I don't believe at all it's, there's one answer. I think it's quite complex. I think it differs from child to child and family to family. But certainly there are some things that we see. Uh, social media an untested value, right? Uh, what is that doing to our kids? Can I just tell you as a grown adult, when I log into Facebook or Instagram and I who get do get invited to a lot of things, see people doing things without me, doing, does it make me stop for a moment and think, wow, I was left out. Imagine that feeling at 10 and 12 and 15, right? It, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, the availability of substances, the type of substances that are available. The, um, right now, you know, the whole opioid epidemic has moved to a fentanyl epidemic, which is being cut in even can you imagine marijuana being cut with fentanyl or some of our high schools that we work with picking up, you know, a Vicodin or a Percocet uh, and it's actually fentanyl? There, there's so much for families to deal with, including 
bullying that can occur 24-7, no breaks. You know, when I was in high school, if I felt bullied, I walked away from it and went home and tuned it out. Can't do that now. So true. So much that our kids are up against making, by the way, the need for not my kid so much more important than even it was 20 years ago. With all these challenges that you've just now talked about, you've talked about you know substance use, you've talked about suicide, bullying, social media. As a parent, as the founder of Not My Kid, as somebody that's worked in the field of prevention for youth for as many decades as you have, what would you say to parents? What are the biggest tools that parents have to prevent these issues from occurring in the first place or to intervene if they're already happening? Love that question because at the end of the day, we just talked about how Tools and resources are everything. You can have all the data in the world and everyone sitting and listening who just simply want to regurgitate that the crisis and the data that we know we're in is not helpful, by the way. So tools. Well, let's start with getting our head out of the sand, like the name of the organization, not my kid, which I believed and thought my kid would never do that, but he did. So having a mindset that it could be your kid, I think makes you parent differently. You'll parent far more proactively if you believe it could be your kid. And then I think it, you know, get educated. If you don't know uh, about social media and accessing that or apps and technology or substances, what they look like, what they feel like, what could be around your kid, what are the trends in our schools and communities. So get educated. Um, you know I'm a big fan of drug testing your kids. And I, I said that early on because had my son, had we had that in place, I truly believe he could have used real words instead of the other ones of my mom drug test and I, I can't do that with you. The, um, the other part of the drug testing that I love is that I believe you can proactively set up a reward system. And I've seen so many families do that over the years where, because here's, here's the data. Every year we win, which is what we started talking about, win this year, every year that we delay first use is a win developmentally, brain development. We, we increase the likelihood that a substance use disorder, an alcohol use disorder, a marijuana use disorder goes away every year we delay. So again, I'm a big fan. I also believe that drug tests are a deterrent. And I, I did it today on my way here. I went by two photo radar uh, vans at different places, and it deterred my speed. So I think deterrence, uh, accountability, work. And, and I'm just a big fan of parents being the parent, putting uh, strategies in place, and holding kids accountable. And that requires some effort on our part. I realize that. Parents, but you know, to not go through the places I've been, that effort up front is well worth it. 
What do you think the future holds for the organization? What do you think's coming? Hmm. Only good things. I know that. Never been more grateful um, to the staff that we have right today and the leadership that we have. And you know that. I tell you that all the time. Um, it, it will be interesting. Um, I think that in my heart, I, I don't want to sit at another dinner with amazing people who say, oh my gosh, you guys do all of that. Not my kid provides all of that, and I didn't know. Um, making sure that community families know that we we are their resource. And candidly, I don't know where else you would go. I, I truly don't. And I know, once again, there are a lot of people who have big hearts that want to impact this arena. They just don't do what Not My Kid does. Um, I, we, we are the resource, and I think the passion that and the, the aptitude that the staff has just sets us up well for um, the future here at Not My Kid. Before we wrap up, um, whether it's a parent listening to the show, a grandparent, an educator, a youth mentor, whoever it is that's listening that works with youth, what is the single most important message you would like to convey to them to have them take away, not only from this podcast, this episode, from your body of work and the, and the volume of experience that you have, what is the single thing that you would most want them to take away? You, you've got to have your eyes, your ears open and be open. That not my kid ta- mentality will not serve you well. Uh, fight that. Believe that it could be your kid. I, I stay engaged with these issues. Continue to learn. But what you, th- what you believe, I believe, will translate into your life. And um, we, we just have to parent as if it could be our kids, and it will drive all of the decisions that we make better to protect them. I believe I parent better because of you. Oh, I think that sweet. I've learned so much just in, in how you've shared and the, and the things um, that you've set up in this organization, the tone. Uh, it, it really is a not-my-kid brand. It's an energy. Um, and no, without question, I mean, I, I love what I do in my job, and this is an amazing career for me, but it's made me a better parent. Uh, just being here. So I just want to say I'm grateful to you. That's super kind. Um, You know, I love both of you and all of you. I love this staff. I love this organization. I know how exhausting this work is. But But exhilarating too. And rewarding. Yes, exactly. It is. But you guys are the heart of what we do here at Know My Kid. This is the first job I've had where I go to sleep every night and I say what I did today absolutely mattered. There's zero question in it whatsoever. I'm just – it's too bad it took me till age 35 or 36 to find it. Hey, you're there. But better late than never. You're here. Yeah, you're here. That's what matters. And we're grateful. The one and only Debbie Moak, co-founder of Not My Kid. Thank you so much for being here on Win This Year. Thanks for having me today. And as always on Win This Year, we want to give you three resources. If you are struggling with thoughts of suicide or you are helping someone who is, there is help, there is hope, there are resources available. Number one is the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. 
You can reach them by calling 1-800-273-8255. That spells out 1-800-273-TALK. Teen Lifeline can be reached at 1-800-248-8336. That spells out 1-800-248-TEEN, T-E-E-N. And the Crisis Text Line can be reached by texting the word LISTEN to 741741. If you are going through a difficult experience, I want to encourage you. There is hope. Things can get better, but it is important to reach out and to ask for help. And for those of you who are noticing someone who is struggling, it is important that we reach out and we help them, that we start the conversation and we let them know we care and we will help. Thanks once again to our guest, Debbie Moak. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you've enjoyed Win This Year, please be sure to subscribe, share, and spread the word. Win This Year can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and nearly every other mainstream podcast outlet. If you have questions or concerns, would like to suggest a guest or topic for a future episode, email us at winthisyear at notmykid.org. winthisyear at notmykid.org. As always, all links mentioned in this episode will be in the show notes along with all the links for Not My Kid's social media. I'm Shane Watson, Public Information Officer and Prevention Specialist for Not My Kid. Thank you for listening to Win This Year.